We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Transformative Principal, episode 205 with Jerry Snow. This week, I'm going to continue my discussion with Jerry Snow, and we're going to talk about what their schedule looks like and how they break it up for their kids. We're going to talk about grades and talking to parents and pacing and all kinds of stuff. So this is a great interview. You're going to really enjoy it. Um, I know I did. I mean, I enjoy all of these because I'm such an education nerd. So I hope you enjoy it too, and please share it with somebody that... uh, is in need of some extra support in implementing some of these things because it will definitely help. So can we talk a little bit about some of those things that that make it so much harder, specifically like the day-to-day kind of things that, okay, so one of the complaints that I hear is, well, what am I going to do when my kids all come in at different levels because they've been doing personalized learning or mastery-based learning or whatever, and they come in at different levels And my response as well, they're already at different levels. You're just not doing anything about it, right? So what does that process look like of, of determining where kids are at when they first get to you and knowing what skills they need help with and things like that? So can you talk a little bit about that process, especially at the beginning of the year? Well, our day is set up kind of kind of different. Like at my middle school, we have three main times of the day. We have team time, class time, and uh, my time. Class time is, you know, math, English, science, social studies. That's your regular class time where the kids come in to that core subject or the subject area, and that's when that, where that teacher. So during those time periods, 
you know, the state says we have standards we have to cover every year. So when kids come in, we'll sign the standards to those students. Now, one thing we do a little different than a lot of people is since we test our kids in NWA map, if we have kids that score high and high average on uh, certain subgroups, you know, subject areas, stuff like that, we will actually let those kids try to test out on mastery for those those levels that, of that school year. And if they can show mastery, then we don't make them do the work for that because they can master it already. If they can already show mastery, we're not going to make them just do the seat time to do it. We can actually give them mastery for those standards and let them move on to more standards. So that's awesome. That, that's class time. <laughs> In my time, I call it a souped up study hall. Some people don't like the name of that, but I do because – you know, in the past, when I was younger, people would have a study hall. You just go in there and do whatever you wanted to. Our, my time is three days a week. You work on whatever subject you're the lowest in. So if, you're, if your mastery percentage is lowest in math, you're working on math for those three days a week. If it's lowest in social studies, you're working on social studies. If you're caught up with the minimum pace in all your core classes, you get to pick and choose which subject you want to work on in my time because you have worked hard to be there. You're rewarded by getting to choose what you want to do on that extra, you know, work on. Two days a week, you work strictly on your ILP. Since we test an NWA map and it creates ILPs in our programs for our students, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, all you do is ILP work. So you basically are working on your reading and language arts ILP or your math ILP. We do it, you know, each day. You know, Tuesdays might be your reading language arts. Thursdays might be math. So that's my time. So like I said, three days a week, you're working on your core subjects that you're lowest in. Two days a week, you're working on ILPs to try to fill those gaps. So we, you know, we, we have a, a, a method to our madness in some ways. And then the third part of our day is called team time. In team time, what we do is we divide up our kids into teams when they come into, like in my middle school in sixth grade. That is their team time. Those teachers keep that same team 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. They are a mentor to them. They are an advocate for them. They are there to keep up with those kids. They learn about their life. They learn about home life. They learn about their extracurricular activities. They learn about their school. And they're there to try to keep those kids on track, monitor their grades, monitor what's going on with them in school, make parent contacts. They do meetings with them and try to say, okay, why are you not getting this standard? They set goals. Uh, they do uh, character education activities. They do uh, team building activities to try to get the kids working with other kids that they're not necessarily being in the classes with so they can learn to work together. Two, two times a year, we have a student-led conferences. We actually have our kids work on a conference. They work on a presentation on this is where my NWA scores. These are what, how I'm mastering my standards. If I'm behind on my standards, this is why I'm behind on my standards. And we have them present that to their parents twice a year to explain to them, this is where I'm at and this is why I'm here. And from the parent's standpoint, it's always amazing. They say, you know, my child had to tell me that he's behind two standards and the reason he's behind two standards is he's been playing on YouTube. And they said it was hard for them to admit that. It was hard for them to hear that kid say, hey, I've messed up. But they said it's amazing that the kids will take ownership of that. And that's okay. Now, this is how I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to fix it this way. So we work with these kids and these teachers and these parents in all these ways to try to mesh everything together to get a good outcome. And like I keep saying, we are not perfect at it, but we're trying to be.
Yeah, well, it's it's pretty inspiring. You mentioned during class time that they can show mastery. What does showing mastery look like? And you mentioned that the depth of knowledge has to be high enough for you to know that they really have really have mastered it. So what does that look like showing mastery? And I'm sure it varies, but give some examples of what mastery looks like. Well, it's going to depend on the subject. Again, when we started this, I tried to give my teachers as much ownership as I possibly could. So I did not come in and say, you have to do this test for mastery. You have to do this lab for mastery. What I came in and said is for each standard, you, you've got to determine what a child has to be able to show mastery. Now, what we try to do is we try to mimic the ACT Aspire to where, you know, maybe two thirds of the stuff is like DOK level three. And then the others can be DOK level one and two, you know, the lower level stuff. And we said, we want you to be able to do it. If it means a project to show mastery, that's fine. If it's a lab mixed with a test, uh, my social studies teachers, a lot of times they'll actually do a project with a test to show mastery. you got to be able to master both of those. You've got to be able to, whether it's the dates and times and what went on and what could have happened mixed with a project on what really occurred here and why. So I let the teachers decide on that. I do not set a specific boom. This has to be it. What I explained to them is I want the DOK, the depth of knowledge leveled up to be a, a mostly around level three to where it's not just a yes, no, a right or wrong or an ABC answer. I want them to be able to say, you know, to solve this, I need to solve this and understand this and work this out. Then I can get this answer. So you want to make sure that they understand the concept really enough to show mastery. But again, I do not dictate mastery. I let the teachers, they are the core experts. They are the curriculum experts in that area. What I do is make them justify to me on why they use that as a mastery. So if it's a project or lab, I, they have to explain to me why that's going to be able to show mastery and what levels the kids are really having to look at and work at and think on to be able to solve it. So so then what does grading look like in that system? Are you doing A through F or 1 through 4? Uh, what does that look like? Uh, we actually do two types of grades. Our community, we were really worried that they wouldn't want to give up the uh, numeric letter grades. So what we do is every every time we send a grade report home, they get a numeric grade, which is, you know, you know zero to 100, which is A, B, C, D, F, and all stuff like that. But then we also give them a mastery report card. We use a program called Mastery Connect, and what it does is you put the standards in there for the student, and as they master it, it'll give them a report, and it'll show uh, these are the tests. This is the amount of standards you've tested on. These are the standards that you've mastered. These are the standards that you are uh, near mastery, and these are the standards in remediation. So we we do two types of report cards. We do we do the numeric and we do the uh, mastery based. Uh, for the numeric grades, what we do is each core subject area. They sit down and they decided they they use percentages. You know whether it's digital curriculum, mastery tests, labs and projects. Uh, portfolios, whatever they are given for those students, they decide on percentages. And what we do is we do a, a kind of a stair step on our mastery. If a student takes a mastery test and does not show mastery at 80%, the first time they have to go through remediation and then they do something else to show mastery. Now, if you mastered it the first time, you would get 100 on your grade report because you mastered it. But if it took you two times, you might drop down to an 85 or an 80 or something like that. Or I think I think what we, our first couple of years we did like, you know, you did 100 if you mastered the first time. If it took you twice, you went to a 95. If it took you three times, you went to a 90. And the idea behind that was to try to get those kids to master it the first time to really put the effort in before and be able to show that mastery. 
this year, I think they lowered it a little bit. It might be 198, you know, stuff like that to show the mastery to where you don't have as many chances on it before you really full blown remediation. But that's how we do it with our numerics. We, we do a little stair step on mastery, but then we have our individual, whether it's like digital curriculum and so on, are by percentages. So like the mastery test might be 60%, digital curriculum might be 15%, labs might be 10%, and you'll add that up to 100% at the end. That's how those grades are determined. And it should mimic each other because if, if, if I'm not mastering the standards like I should, my grade will not be as high. If I'm taking multiple times to master standard, my grade will not be as high. But if I'm going through there and keeping on track and mastering it the first time, my grade should be higher than everybody else's. So do you see any motivation or uh, encouragement with kids to do mastery versus grades? Or are they are they really focused on getting good grades and are parents still focused on that? Or or do people are people able to see the difference between the two and does anybody put more emphasis on on the mastery portion? For the most part, I think parents are still focused focused more on the grade because that's what they've known their whole lives. Yeah. But whenever I meet with parents, I try to explain to them the importance for me and for the school itself is mastery. You know, if I'm mastering my standards and moving on, that's what's important. Am I keeping up with the minimum pace? Am I mastering? Am I going beyond where I should be and stuff like that? You know, the grades are great looks good you know like parents give money for grades or you know grandparents love the grades and stuff like that and that's one of the reasons we just didn't get rid of the grades because that's what they're so used to we didn't want it make make it so much of a culture shock that everybody just kind of went into overload but whenever we meet with the parents we try to explain with them you know the mastery is the key and also on those mastery reports that we send home it will show you you know we we, we tell the kids and the parents this you know, after the first nine weeks, you need to be a, a minimum of around 25% mastered. If you're at 10% mastered, you're behind. So we try to explain that to the parents. They need to keep up with their mastery to where, you know, minimum pace will be 25% each nine weeks. Now, again, we don't slow them down. We let them go as far as they want to. So, you know, there's been a lot of kids that we've had after the first nine weeks, they might be at 40% mastery because they're really going through it. They're understanding the curriculum and they're moving on. and if they finish their subject this year early, then we'll go ahead and put them into next year's subject and let them start working on that to try to help them. And then that way they, they're always going forward, not just sitting there becoming stagnant. Yeah. I love that approach. How did you develop your, your pacing guides or whatever you call them? Well, what we did is we, we again got with the teachers for their individual core subjects and we let them sit down and they created like a pacing guide. And they said, okay, if I were teaching this, this is the minimum pace that we would need to follow to finish out the year with the state standards. That's how they set up their minimum pace. So that's what we I mean. We tell the parents and the students, if you're not at least at the minimum pace, then you're falling behind. So that might mean the teacher spends a little bit more time with you or you might need to put a little bit more effort into it. You know, a lot of times it's not, I don't understand. It's I'm not really doing the work. So that's how we develop those minimal pace. And, you know, I'll tell you, our first year of doing this, the first semester of our first year, we didn't set a minimum pace. And we found out, you know, in, in our, I guess, naive, naiveness or, you know, ignorance or whatever you want to say, we were thinking every kid's going to just work hard and get, get finished. That wasn't the case because we had some kids, their, their only gear was like first gear. And we had some other kids who was in sixth and seventh gear all, all year long. So 
after the first semester, we sit down and, and we created these minimum paces and work with those kids to get called up and stuff like that. And from then on, we've always had that minimum pace. So the parents know it, the students know it, everybody knows this is what's expected at a minimum pace. And we, we, we stress minimum. You know, we want you to go farther if you can go further, but if not, this is the minimum you need to be following. Yeah, that's that's very cool. I looked at your schedule and you still got a regular seven period day. Can you talk a little bit about what your schedule looks like or if you're doing anything to tweak that or adjust that as time goes on? Well, uh be honest with you, this year they have a seven period day. For the last three years, we had an eight period day. And what we did is we uh, teamed up. Our math and sciences were teamed together. So if I had first period math, I had second period science. If I had third period social studies, I had fourth period English. And those kids were paired up. So if those teachers wanted to get together and do cross-curricular activities, they could. If they wanted to, you know, let's say Johnny's caught up in science or ahead in science, but he's behind in math. Well, Johnny might be in math two periods today. And those teachers work together to do that. I give my teachers the ability to trade kids. If first period, all these kids are at, on these three or four standards or something like that, but I have one kid who's really, really far behind or really, really far ahead, I might be able to move that kid to another period to try to get him or a group of kids that are closer to where he's at so he has people to work with whenever we do group activities. So, you know, just, just trying to do that. So I had an eight-period day, and the reason I did that is – Every kid has to have their four core in Alabama. Then you got to have a PE in middle school. That's five. If you're in band, that gave you six. So you want at least one my time. That'd be seven. And then an elective, like robotics or something like that. So with seven periods, I was having trouble for every kid being able to get into a my time if they were in band and you know stuff like that, or if they needed a reading class. You know, If their reading scores were low on NWA, put them in a reading class to try to help them in the end, you know, try to get that reading up. So I moved to an eight-period day. So I did that for three years. I left this last year, and the guy that came in and took my spot, he wanted us to uh, go down to a seven-period day. And we used to have a class in eighth grade that was a state class for graduation. We have moved that to the high school, so that actually freed up a period. So we were able to drop down to a seven period and make sure everybody got at least one my time in. Some have two, but everybody's got at least one. So does one my time period take uh, the place of an elective if you have two? Uh, usually it will take the place of an elective, but the reason we want everybody to have one my time is, again, we're doing the ILPs in my time, and plus you know, that's the time to get caught up on your regular classwork to try to give the kids the opportunity to do their work in school as opposed to having homework. And they're able to do it in school with a certified teacher that can help them. And what we run into was a lot of times when kids went home, their parent couldn't help them or their parent was having to work or grandparent couldn't help them. So they weren't really getting their work completed at home. So we wanted everybody to have at least one my time. Now, some kids will have one my time and one elective. Some people will have just two my times because they'd rather have the time to get the work done as opposed to doing a robotics or doing a art class or something like that. And we give them that opportunity. You know, we let them decide with their parents, do I need two my times or do I want one my time and elective? Very cool. You know, this is exciting to uh, to hear about all the great things that, that you're doing and, and how, you know, it just takes it takes so much to – to meet the needs of our kids. But I, 
I know that it's worth it. And, you know, I'm just fascinated by, by so much of, of what you're doing. I really appreciate your time talking with me about this. Uh, the last question that I ask everybody is what's one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? You know, one, one thing, I mean, is it, become a better listener. Listen to what the kids are saying, what the kids are needing. Listen to the teachers. You know, you, you've got to be able to listen and make decisions based on what you're learning and know. So everything you make is going to be for the best of the kids. So for me, I just think, you know, to help become a better listener this week and listen to what's going on in your school, what's going on in your classrooms. Listen to what's going on with the kids. Talk to the kids and find out, you know, are you sitting in class not really doing anything or are you behind? It, could you go further? Is there something that you're interested in that you'd like to do? So just just me, the key is going to be listening. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you and learn more from you, Jerry? If you go to the Piedmont City Schools website, it's uh, www.piedmont, P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T dot k12.al.us our contact information is there they have a phone number there for the main office uh, my email is jsnow at piedmont.k12.al.us so you could either call the central office and ask for me or you could send me an email awesome well thank you so much jerry appreciate your time on the transformative principal podcast today thank you Thanks so much for listening to Transformative Principle. This was a really enjoyable interview for me and answered a lot of the questions that I'm currently facing. And, you know, that's what I love about doing this is I get to ask these questions specifically and, and see how we can do better at my current school. So thanks so much for listening. And I hope that this has helped you as well. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.